Good evening. It is a sunny Monday, March 25th, 2019, and welcome to the fourth episode of District 29's Political Action Committee podcast. This is District 29 Unpacked. I'm your host, Adam Gibson, and we are here coming to you live from the second floor kitchen of Federation House. Say hello to my regular partners in crime, the Lisa Thompson to my Doug Ford. What? (laughs) Come on. That might be the most insulting thing that's ever been said. I don't believe that. What's your name? Uh, well, you can call me Lisa if you want to, but uh, my name's Chris. And the Todd Smith, my Doug Ford. Oh, well, we have a beard. Jason. <laughs> Jason Brown. As of today, um, we are up to 137 overall listens between our three previous episodes, but we got to start hitting the shares, I think. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, I predict that over the next few months, we're going to be a little more politically active. So I hope that you are listening and sharing and spreading the good word all over. Remember to access us via the podcast app on your Apple device. Search District 29 Unpacked. If you need to, you may have to look a little bit, but you'll find us there. Subscribe. And inside that app, you can download it, take it with you on protests, on marches, on door-to-door canvassing, all that good stuff. You can always email us with questions or comments at d29pac at gmail.com. OSS TF District 29 Twitter account. For pack is fired up and going. We are spreading our we are spreading our wings on social media. Uh, if you want to go back and listen to episode three from late February, we covered uh, the autism policy changes from the provincial government and interviewed education writer and thinker Doug Little. Thanks to all you who listened and shared that one and share with your colleagues too. But tonight the focus is narrow and direct. It is explicitly on the provincial government's plans for the secondary system is very conveniently outlined on the Friday of March break while you were all uh, skiing the slopes and working on your tan. Oh, there's a little message sneaking in, uh, sneaking in the side door for you. So let's get right into a survey of the proposed changes. Uh, let me ask you off the top, guys. Uh, we're going to leave e-learning for our second segment, but let, if we could list all of them. Cell phone ban, sex ed curriculum changes, FNMI changes, um, finding structure, uh, pick from that borgesmorg of <laughs> educational changes. Uh, which do you find the most concerning? Well, I think definitely the class sizes is the most concerning. It, it is going to mean the end of uh, programming as we know it. You know, uh, we all know how uh, committee uh, SAC committees in our school work, and we know how principals like to, of course, fill classes as full as they can to the max. So if, if our average is going from 22 to 28, that means some classes are going to be upwards of 40. Uh, that means that there's got to be some give at the other end. And some of those small classes, those special ed classes, are they going to be able to operate at 13 or 14 kids anymore? I, I don't think so. Uh, is a music program going to be able to continue to run? Uh, all those kinds of questions. On top of that, if they're going to get there through attrition, if that's their plan, um, I don't think that's feasible. If you have retirements and let's say a music teacher, I'll use that as an example, retires, well, there may not be other music teachers available right. in the board that are already hired. They're not hiring new people. So what happens to music in that scenario? You're doing it, bud. I don't think that's possible. No, but no, <laughs> I've heard directly from the Ministry of Education. Here's my quote from the memo. 
Class size reductions can only be a result of retirements, resignations, or other voluntary leaves during this period. And I quote Lisa Thompson, there will be no involuntary job losses. Straight we, from the horse's mouth. I mean, mouth everyone, there. I think everyone realizes that that's absolutely impossible. Uh, I mean, the idea that I think, you know, currently we average roughly seven retirements a year in secondary in our board. The idea that somehow over the next four years, you're going to get upwards of 10 to 15 to 20 a year. It just seems absolutely ridiculous. Uh, I, I don't know how it happens. And if you're not filling backfilling those, as I said, how are you going to get the specialist teachers for those smaller programs we offer, like maybe a music or even a French sure. or, uh, or a, a tech class, a shop class? How, I don't understand how that even works. Bremner? Well, unless your whole goal is ultimately to create enough chaos and confusion and unhappiness and unpleasantness when you're trying to mark your second batch of 45 essays in a row, you're not going to want to stay. But... I wondered that too. Yeah. If it just gets so hard and like, it'll go by attrition because we're going to make it so terrible. No one will want to do this. So not only is she trying or they're trying to commit uh, to get resiliency among students, it seems like maybe they're trying to get resiliency among staff too. Yeah. Uh, I definitely need to get How resilient can anyone, everyone be in the education system? Let's not even give that resiliency argument any credit. Yeah, it's ridiculous. That's the most ridiculous thing ever. Resiliency requires that there is some success on the other side. There has to be difficulty followed by success, and this is not a recipe. I saw a couple of good things over the last couple of days, like, you want more resilient drivers? Chop a lane of the 401, right? People are getting sick too much and showing up to hospitals. Let's get rid of some of those hospital beds. Tell them to walk it off. Okay, let me me hit a couple of things. So locally, we're at about 330 teachers overall Mm -hmm. on the board, and we're looking at potentially at that loss, some 20%. Uh, 25% potentially, our very conservative estimates have that at about 70 uh, teachers gone over the next four years potentially. But uh, board-wide, or pardon me, province-wide, Harvey Bischoff, uh, president of OSSCF, is talking about potentially 5,500 jobs province-wide. And even Electa uh, is talking about 5,000 teaching possessions in the Catholic school yeah. board. So all those programs that we know and love, and uh, you got co-op, CeeLo. I've got yeah. law, and that program is bumping and hopping. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I don't know. Well, I don't the, know. The, the, num- the number, actually, think of it this way. The number, uh, forget about the number of teaching positions, but the number that OSSTF has calculated actually works out to 34,000 classes right. that are going to be with, removed from the education That's 34,000 sections. 34,000 sections. That, that doesn't... Uh, <laughs> That doesn't uh, make me confident that going forward, we're going to have students who have access to the same education system that the current students do. Last word to you, Brenner. Well, two things. I'm seeing a figure here for 426 sections locally, just for us alone here. If we're at 71 teachers, six sections a teacher, 400 sections plus, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, that's tremendous. When you consider the impact on a single school, that's tremendous. Celo, what do you got there? Well, I, I just, there's a couple other areas and yeah, you know, class sizes are important, but uh, they're along in this announcement. They also offered up some distractions like banning cell phones was the big thing. Well, actually what their release said is use of cell phones during instructional time will be permitted under the following circumstances for educational purpose as directed by the educator. Well, that's, Exactly it's, what it's happens. Literally exactly it's literally what we do now. Yeah. Uh, it's no different. There's no ban on cell phones. Uh, it, it's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, EQAO. It sounds like that they're uh, they're going to make some changes there, possibly to make it easier. Uh, who knows? Uh, of course, you mentioned the 
Uh, one thing we haven't talked about actually is the hiring practices and regulation 274 yeah. and the changes to that and, and uh, making it more from, difficult. Before you run away from that, when we're talking about funding, especially for things like EQAO, I want to jump back way back just for one quick little reminder that they can't find $3 million for rape crisis centers, but we can find $10 million for horse racing. We can find $10 million more for EQAO, whatever they're going to spend on it. Mm -hmm. A couple other things I want to hit just before we wrap up this segment. One is that while um, the Pupil Foundation grants are changing from 22 to 28 to 1, a couple of things we uh, should identify. One is the cuts to the secondary programming uh, grants that were for staffing that was originally negotiated to provide extra performance extra supports, I should say, for students through the hiring of student success teachers. So one of the ways that we might try and get down to a 28 to 1 average is just to pull everyone who's not in a traditional classroom, for lack of a better phrase, and pull them out of that position, make that position disappear, put those people uh, in a classroom. Uh, furthermore, uh, the local priorities uh, fund uh, is ending in August, and that allowed for the hiring of 219 teachers uh, in our board, or of which 91 were earmarked for special education. Pardon me, that's a provincial number. Yeah. Yeah, pardon me, not our board. Um, and that's um, potentially a big loss for us in some really significant positions. Um, and that's also a use for some educational assistants, social workers, et cetera. So the, the key with that fund is that that's really geared to special education. So the most vulnerable students we have are, are basically being attacked in this in this announcement. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's, uh, we, we can talk about how it affects us as, as teachers. And yes, certainly it does. But I think the bottom line is, this is just bad for students. Bad for kids. It's just bad. It's, it's bad for everyone. But, you know, most importantly, we're here to run a good public education system and it's being attacked. Well, those, students, to you, as, those students, as you say, are going to be in bigger classes with fewer supports, less funding. It's terrible. And we're asking those students to go through the most difficult possible program they can. And everybody, everybody hurts for this. Yeah, I think, um, I think all in all, I, I was expecting news that wasn't great. And then when people read it to me over the break, I was like, no. No, like I thought, well, maybe class sizes will increase. I didn't expect a six student job, right? It's, really, it's so, I don't know, it's just I, beyond. Right. I really find it fascinating to look over here at kindergarten. Oops, no, sleight of hand, and here it is where we're going. I, I thought that was a, a classic sort of conservative political move to get everyone distracted with this and then the bait and switch. Well, yeah. one more policy, which we have yet to hit, but we will in our next segment is on the changes coming to e-learning credits. And we'll be right back to discuss that after our first break. Today's podcast is brought to you by the new health and physical education curriculum. Is your child's teacher promoting subversive ideas like tolerance and how not to get gonorrhea? Fear not, Ontarioans. Say goodbye to renegade liberal concepts like blended families and adoption. Bon voyage to dangerous anatomical terms like nipple. With our new curriculum, we can return sexual education back where it belongs, in a cloud of secrecy and misinformation hastily glossed over by uncomfortable dads. Birds and bees is the wave of the future. Okay, we're back. And well, in the first segment, we discussed a variety of changes which may be concerning uh, to local members uh, that may be coming down the pipe uh, as proposed over March break. One 
very important item on which we did not touch was potential changes to the e-learning program in Ontario. Christopher Masterson, I'm going to come to you first. Tell us exactly what Minister Lisa Thompson has to say about proposed changes. Yeah, this is the uh, the ministry's release. And here's exactly what it said, because there's lots of rumors and lots of speculation, but I'm going to read what it said. Starting in 2021, the government will centralize the delivery of all e-learning courses to allow students greater access to programming and educational opportunities no matter where they live in Ontario. Secondary students will take a minimum of four e-learning credits out of the 30 credits needed to graduate. These changes will be phased in starting in 2021. This is equivalent to one credit per year with the with ex exemptions for some students on an individualized basis. I mean, sounds like sunshine and rainbows to me, Scott Marshall. Tell me what it's really about. It's about money. Uh, E-learning isn't for everyone. There's uh, a lot of students um, that uh, won't succeed with e-learning. And, you know, within the profession, uh, we all know the, the best model for student learning is still being in a classroom with the teacher there. Locally, we found a place for e-learning, though. Sure, it does have a spot, but I think it's best determined um, at the local level. So here, for example, students sign up for all of their courses each year, as they always have. And once we see what the course selections are, sometimes we identify uh, certain courses that can't be run with the traditional model because we just don't have enough students. We've got some small schools. We've seen a decline in enrollment over the years. So uh, in those circumstances, we've been able to offer those students the courses that they want uh, through the e-learning model. Sure. And, and roughly 24 sections is what's worked for us across 24 locally. Yeah. Yeah. Over a series of years, that's been the, the number that we've hit yeah. regularly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we, we got a kid who needs a prereq to get into a certain program. We can't offer it because the population is too small at the school. This kid can take the credits, still continue on to the program they need. But if we could, and then we would run it in school face-to-face -face if possible. Yeah, Chris. Exactly. One of the segments that I just noticed underneath that release that's part of the e-learning section also says that with these additional modernizations, as they're calling <laughs> e-learning and, and the broadband that they've mentioned, the secondary program enhancement grant will no longer be required. Well, here's what the secondary programming grant does. It, uh, the grant was for staffing that was originally negotiated to provide extra supports for students through the hiring of student success teachers. These teachers work with our most vulnerable students on a day-to-day -day basis and contribute to Ontario's high graduation rate. So what the ministry is basically saying, I think, is that's an attack on the teachers that help our most vulnerable students. And, and in this case, it's specifically student success is something that's kind of under attack on that fund. Now, that doesn't mean that each board may... Uh, may or may not decide to still fund student success, but it is an attack. Jason, what concerns do you see? Well, in a climate where we're losing computer labs left, right, and center to try and find a computer in a school, now it's all gone to Chromebooks. The sure. technology funding has become less and less and less, and now we're going to ask students that need going to have to take these credits online. Is there going to be money to make technology available to them? Is it going to be in the schools? Are they going to have to get it themselves? Who's going to supervise the students if it's done during the school day? How, what's that going to look like? This is one of the many questions that we have. But say, sure. is a kid going to be assigned to e-learning? You know, uh, semester two, period three is your e-learning. You are to report to computers, whatever, uh, who is taking attendance. And, and one point that I would like to add is that uh, when we have students um, who are taking credits outside of the board, as that's 
Sometimes it works that way. We have a kid at Bayside who needs to take a credit that's offered in e-learning in Durham. If that kid is at risk or if they're struggling, then all of those issues are really dealt with in-house in guidance or in student success. So kid gets an in-danger report. It's our guidance teacher at Bayside who's facilitating that discussion around uh, in-dangers, credit support, things like that. And if you multiply that out over, say at our school, 800 kids, uh, each one taking one a year, and then over the course of you know four years, right? This is a giant number of additional supports. Keep keeping in mind that the announcement says centralized. So what does yeah. that even mean? Does that mean like you're implying that it's going to be a central source? Is that going to be a teacher? Is that going to be an instructor, a facilitator? Is it going to be uh, simply a computer person who, like a, an IT, per computer an person. IT, IT person, I should say. Who, 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 is, who is that it's going a to bot. be? They have to do the I am not a bot capture. And the, the technology piece is important because it's a matter of equity. And not every student has the same access to that technology at home That's or right. devices at home. And in fact, on that note, let me read to you from the old Ontario eLearning Consortium. This is a message that was on their page as of March 9th, 2019. And I'm gonna quote here directly. E-learning may not be for everyone, though it will be. In fact, some <laughs> studies show that e-learning has a higher drop rate than regular face-to-face -face programs. Often the main cause is that some students may not be well suited to this form of learning. To avoid potential hardship and disappointment, try the following self-assessments to determine if e-learning is right for you. And now, squash. <laughs> that message is gone. It's not there anymore. Yeah, it's been deleted. It is, uh, it disappeared. is double thick. Two plus yeah. two is five uh, kind of stuff. It's just, it's just gone. So, you know, we have, I have colleagues who speak very well of their e-learning experiences as a, as a teacher. They um, suggest to us that I haven't taught one personally, but they'll say like, you know, it's not the, it's not the boogeyman that people make it out to be. I've taken online courses. Some of them were um, awful. Some of them were, not bad, but the question, as that as that alludes to, and you just alluded to, is like, is it everybody? But it ha but it has become the boogeyman <laughs> because it's been used now to attack our profession. And as we've said, it's not for every student, and now it's being used as an attack on our profession. And, so, and the, yeah, the students in the traditional model have access to the the full education team. They're not going to in this model, and this is why I say this is about money. Uh, everyone that's in education understands that the most success is when the students are in the building with all the adults there to support them and they won't have that with us. Let me close with this number from the Ottawa Citizen as I was doing a little research today. The estimates that they had uh, were about 10% of Ontario kids currently in online courses. Um, the increase in total number, just gross sum of kids would be 630,000 students engaged in online e-learning courses. And, and we all know that internal Scared. internal motivation is required to be successful in a course like this. And let's face facts, uh, not all of our students, in fact, probably a fairly small percentage of students are capable of the uh, independent work required to complete online courses. Well, um, that's it on e-learning. Uh, I think what I can say coming out of this is we have way more questions than we have answers right now. Uh, we'll be back um, in just a minute after this next ad. Today's podcast is brought to you by the new 1998 Health and Physical Education Curriculum. Tonight we're going to party like it's 1998. Teach your students the dangers of accessing dial-up internet for ICQ, MySpace, and grunge band chat rooms. Don't let them get sucked into free AOL CDs in the mail and instead stick to the Encyclopedia Britannica 12-disc set like real scholars. 
If students ask silly questions about relationships, just settle back into a time of nuclear families and heterosexual marriage. When Britney Spears asked them to hit me baby one more time, remember this simple phrase, abstinence is godliness. All right, we are back for another segment of District 29 Unpacked and joined by local District 29 president and uh, future nominee for some political office in waiting. <laughs> He's just working on his uh, yeah, working, on his, working on his vanilla answers. Uh, okay, so uh, what we really want to bring you in here for, Scott, in this segment is to what's the local response? What's going on uh, here in District 29? Uh, why don't you start with that, and I'll ask you a couple of more questions. Sure, and we've been uh, very busy here, as all the locals have, uh, since this announcement was made. And, you know, the, the announcement was made without a lot of information or details. Yeah. And I think as we look deeper into what the cuts mean, uh, people are very concerned, of course. So the first thing our members can do is to make sure uh, that they're engaged in attending our worksite visits and paying attention to um, the information that's coming out that's, uh, I think, noting what this will look like. You've got to a couple places already, but you have more to come. Is that right? Yeah, we've been to visit uh, Prince Edward uh, Collegiate. Okay. We've been to Trenton High. We're at Centennial today. Okay. Uh, the meetings are going well. When people see the numbers, though, when they see that uh, at a minimum with the changing generator from 22 to 28 to 1, that we're losing 71 teachers. And that's baseline. Like That's a very conservative yeah. number. Naturally, their heads then go quickly to uh, all of the programs and that the students are going to lose when uh, those sections aren't in the system anymore. So information is very important. So right now, because the ministry wasn't providing, I would say, uh, truthful answers about what this looks like, I think it's important that people know. Okay. So we're talking amongst ourselves, but we're talking in our communities as well. We had a great idea when we were out at uh, PECI uh, to hold a town hall meeting okay. so we could actually talk about what these cuts would mean to the school community and Prince Edward Collegiate. So we're organizing uh, that right now. Um, we'll see what ideas come forward when we do the other school visits. Okay. But uh, the most important thing right now, I think, is that people are engaged and aware. Okay. By town hall, you mean for the public? For the public. Okay. Yep. 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 The uh, certainly uh, parent councils need to be aware of what these cuts will mean for the high schools next year and uh, on a go forward basis, because they're so big and deep. Uh, things will not look like they have in the past and students are going to lose all kinds of opportunities for the membership. There's a province wide uh, rally for education. It's being organized by all the affiliates on April the 6th. Okay. And I, it's very, very important. I think that the members be there when we do the school visits. We can see the concern on the face of, of all the teachers because they recognize what the schools are going to lose. Uh, Doug Ford last Friday said he likes teachers. This is all about the union bosses. Yeah. I think through engagement, uh, yeah, he likes teachers, but he's, by the way, he's going to cut like 25% uh, or more. Um, but I think uh, when uh, people see the depth of this, they'll recognize that this is actually about big losses and big changes in the schools. Uh, and not what Ford says it is. So you have sent out uh, a, a series of emails, especially over the last um, uh, like week or two. And uh, if people are looking to put a little pressure on their local MPPs, uh, both Todd Smith and Daryl Cramp, I think you have the numbers there. Want to hit me, Scott? Yeah, they need to contact Todd Smith and Daryl Cramp. They're both members uh, with this government. And there's some accountability there. And I think they need to hear the concern from their constituents. So Todd Smith's contact number is 
1144, and that's at his uh, Belleville office just south of the bridge. Okay. And the number for the contact number for Daryl Cramp for his Madoc office is 343-600-3310. And I think everybody concerned about what these cuts mean for education need to take the time to contact their MPP and let them know. Five-minute phone call and let them know. The well, I was just going to ask, Scott, do you have any advice on what people can say when they do call their MPP and perhaps leave a message or maybe if they're lucky, get to talk to someone? Yeah, th- this isn't what's been presented as uh, simply moving from 22 uh, class cap to 28. That's a generator that generates the number of teachers. There's going to be a massive loss of teachers in the system. And when you lose those teachers, you lose the programs that they are offering. And then if they're not being replaced, you also lose that expertise. So as you said before, if you lose the French teacher or the physics teacher, or the music teacher, yeah. they may, may not be an opportunity then to replace them in the school. So the students are going to lose a lot of programs and the profession is going to lose uh, some diversity in the expertise that exists in the buildings as well. And there's going to be a lot of supports for students that will disappear with us as well. I, my, my, I've been saying it's just going to turn the schools right upside down. In your uh, email to uh, to district members last Friday, you identified a couple things that people might uh, in particular um, touch upon. One is the 22 to 1 to uh, 28 to 1 uh, generator. Uh, but one other point you hit is that uh, e-learning does not work for all students, and nor is it a replacement. And as we identified uh, in our last segment, uh, e-learning, are, uh, those changes are potentially very damaging. Um, and you mentioned as well that while students will see an increase in class size, we'll see a loss of smaller academic classes and programs. Those programs that are we are lucky enough to run at, uh, I don't know, 18 kids right now, I think will be uh, a relic of a bygone era uh, pretty soon if we're looking at averages of 28 to 1 and beyond. Furthermore, as we've alluded to earlier, fewer supports for those with special needs. And one thing we haven't hit upon at all today is just fewer adults in the building. Time, supervision, um, support, coaching. Like this is not just, it, it's not just six kids more, right? It's, uh, and I think you had mentioned earlier, Scott, you talked to some people who had heard like, well, why can't you teach just six kids more? Look, I could teach just six kids more. I'm sure I could probably do it. That's not what this is about. This is about all yeah. the ancillary things which come right. from just adding. From less just, cl- less from coaches, just less uh, club uh, people to run clubs. But it's, it's not just people. six kids more. It's not. It's not right. Yeah, and that's not the way it would work, right? So uh, a couple things for people to, I guess, have a heads up for. One is contacting the local MPPs. Recall that we, in our first, very first episode, we talked about the trustees and those elections in the fall and how they were potentially sympathetic uh, to some of OSSTF's uh, causes as well. They continue to be democratically uh, elected representatives of us or of the people uh, writ large on the school board, and you can certainly contact them to see if they have uh, the ability to push back anymore. Uh, town halls may be an interesting idea, but I think we need, uh, are we still waiting a little bit, Scott, on kind of messaging or things like, we need information, but like concepts too from provincial on the things that people should be saying or doing? Yeah, the province has provided some um, summary printouts. I know when Harvey had the press conference last week, he provided media with uh, the document called The Truth on Education Cuts. That's yep. very useful. I think that can uh, be an anchor. We've produced another one called How Ford's Cuts Will Impact Our Publicly Funded School System. So those have all been emailed out to the members, and those are fantastic starting points. We're taking that information and trying to um, uh, make it local. Yeah, 
And so we'll it's not that these are not just Ford's cuts, but the cuts belong to the entire government of which. Yeah. Todd Smith and Daryl Crap. Yeah. They are part of that. It. And we'll absolutely support it too. Do you have anything else that you want to? April 6th, uh, hope to see everyone there, friends, family, uh, everyone that cares about uh, the public school system needs to be there at Queen's Park. Will we provide, be providing any type of transportation? Yeah, we will have more information coming out, but uh, I, I'm, I'm certain there'll be uh, transportation provided and, and assistance for everyone that wants to be there to be there. Okay, well, keep your ears open and get yourselves ready. I think there's some action ahead of us. We'll be right back. Today's podcast is brought to you by the Notwithstanding Clause. Do you love the Charter of Rights and Freedoms but find Sections 2, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15 inconvenient? Simply place the Notwithstanding Clause at the start of any law and watch the Charter rights magically disappear. Pesky freedom of association getting in your way? Innocence until proven guilty got you down? Does habeas corpus have your stomach tied in knots? Turn to Section 33 in the Notwithstanding Clause and watch that annoying collective bargaining evaporate into the ether. Get up, stand up. Stand up for your life. I've talked about solidarity and being together. I've talked about the need for us to have the tough conversations with other people outside of education. Now it's time to get our own house in order. If you work in education and you haven't written an email or made a call or made your presence known to our local MPP, then you need to do more. It's easy to think my colleagues will do that so I don't have to. It's not enough to let them. 10 minutes of your life to make an email, 10 minutes more to write another reply when that form letter comes back from the MPP's office. Call them and express your concerns. Make an appointment as a member of the public. Talk to them in person. We do our best to teach our students to be independent, critical thinkers, yet we're not doing that well ourselves. I challenge you all to write that email, make that call, book that visit, and then be visible and present on the rally day on April 6th. It's worth changing your plans if you're able. It's our future and the future of our students and our children. I teach, I have children in the system, and one of my children is a student with special needs. Do you have grandchildren that will enter the system? Nieces, nephews, your own kids? Are you prepared to teach 40 plus students? Are you prepared to accommodate all the students with special needs that no longer have funding to support their learning? This is not a fight to be fought later. This is not the prelude. The bombs are dropping and you can sit and watch them or you can get involved and help each other. We must be involved, every one of us. There will be wedges thrown at everyone and we have to stand fast. Solidarity is when we do things together, not wait for others to do it for us. If you don't know what was said at the last meeting, be at the next one. If you don't know what you need to do, find out. If you don't think you need to be involved, you're wrong. 70 teachers at least will be lost from our board over this. We would be foolish to think it won't involve any support staff, and we've already had spec ed support money slashed. We're often quiet people that don't like to get involved. Well, we've just been punched in the nose. Are we going to do something about it, or are we just going to stand there and bleed? I know what I'm going to do.
Okay, so that concludes episode four. Thanks to Scott Marshall again for joining us. A reminder that you can follow the District 29 uh, Twitter uh, account for our uh, political action committee at OSSTF D29 PAC. Check us out there. And uh, you can also check out the uh, local district's Facebook page as well. Uh, we got to get some likes and shares out there to spread the good word. A reminder, if you're accessing us through uh, uh, the podcast app on your Apple device, that you can always subscribe via iTunes and press your colleagues to get engaged now too. So recall that that also will include the April 6th rally at Queens Park, uh, District 29 executive and your local branch president will be able to give you additional information uh, if you'd like to get up there and join us and make our voices heard. And if you can't make it there, recall that you can always contact your local MVP, spread the word online or feel free to write us back here uh, with any other ideas which you feel might help uh, in the push against some of the cuts which may be coming down the line. Recall the email address for us is just d29pac at gmail.com. When you hear from us again, it will be late April after the last Monday uh, in April. So spring will have finally sprung. Summer will be not far around the corner. And keep your eyes open and your ears open too for more information coming down the line.